It's Sunday night, and we are teaching on prophecy on Sunday night. Prophecy is, it seems like when I'm teaching on uh, prophecy, when I'm teaching on the end of time, people think prophecy is only about the end of time. What it is, in a sense, prophecy and the end of time. People want to know, Jim, uh, how close are we to the end? Well, since I've talked to the Lord yesterday, me and him were talking, and I don't know. <laughs> I just believe we're not far away. Maybe in my lifetime it may not be, but I believe these little children, they're going to have to deal with the very end. The Bible says that at the end of time, there's going to be there's going to be tribulation such as was not from the beginning, no, nor ever shall be. If you think this is going to get better, it's not. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. We've been talking about that there's going to be perplexity at the end of time. If you want to look over there at Luke twenty-one, twenty-four, talking about the Jews, there's many reasons, many signs at the end of time. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, the Bible says, No man knows the day nor the hour. However, the same chapter says, I will give you signs when you see the fig tree blooming. You know that summer is nigh at hand when it starts to blossom out. Well, I know that. I've got fig trees over there on Irvin. And when they begin to bloom, summer's here. And they don't ripen up till late summer, August to early September. But you know when summer's coming by looking at them. And so he says, I'll give you signs. Nobody will know the exact time, but we will have signs about when the end is coming. And there's several things about the end of time. Whenever I'm talking about the end of time, I have to talk about Israel. Israel coming back. Coming back. Israel back from captivity. And Israel has come back at the end of time. They've been captive for 2,600 years. And, and they were divided into two nations, northern Israel which was also called Joseph or Ephraim. Joseph or Ephraim and southern Israel, which was Judah. Judah's the southern two tribes, two tribes. Northern Israel is the ten northern tribes led by Joseph, the eleventh son of Jacob. The ten northern tribes, northern tribes, and the two southern tribes are Judah and Benjamin. People will say, I thought Judah was a tribe. Well, it is, but it's also God applied the term Judah to the southern kingdom. So they were scattered after 500 years. You say, this sounds like this message 
this morning's message. Well, it is. It's the same thing as Christmas. Uh, Christmas is nothing but the fire worship and the tree worship of the ancient world. They've been scattered all these years. I've got a paper on this that I showed you all the nations that have ruled them until they came back and some guy wrote me and said, wasn't 1948? It was exactly 1948. May 14th, 1948 was when what was called the National Council, it had the National Council of the United Nations had a they had a, a meeting in Tel Aviv, Israel, and that was the capital of Israel at that time. Now, uh, Trump has moved it to Jerusalem, which I don't care if that he does that. That's fine with me. But it was in Tel Aviv at the time, and they declared Israel a nation for the first time since they were carried away in 586 B.C., that was southern Judah. Northern Israel was carried away in 722 B.C. And what we're going to study is what is this period of time where they were carried away. It's called, it's divided into two parts. It's called the 70 weeks of Daniel. And that's divided into 69 weeks. And those are weeks of years. We can show that. In fact, the Bible says that when Jacob had fulfilled Rachel's week, it calls it a week. Well, after he worked for seven years for Rachel, his father-in-law, Laban, who was to be his father-in-law, who was the brother of his mother, uh, Rebecca, uh, and when uh, he was, uh, when uh, Laban, well, gosh, I was going to tell you something, I just went blank. Uh, got so many things to say about this. I'll remember it in a minute. Anyway, they were... Huh? He worked seven years. Oh yeah, he worked seven years for. He worked seven years for. For Rachel. During his marriage night, he didn't know. The next morning, he woke up, and he had been given Leah instead. And then he goes to his father-in-law Laban and says, "You told me I was going to get Rachel, and she's the one I'm in love with." He was nuts about Rachel. She was beautiful. And tricky. <laughs> Sometimes beautiful women are tricky. She was beautiful and she had a little bit of underhandedness about her. But he wanted Rachel. So Laban said, you have to work seven years for Rachel. It's wrong to give away the eldest before the youngest is married. He said, okay, I will work seven years for her. And after he'd worked seven years, the Bible says that Jacob, Jacob fulfilled Rachel's 
week. It's the same word, Shabuah. Shabuah as the 70 weeks of Daniel. It means years. It's, he had to work for seven years. Now, I don't know what I was getting at. Now, I want to go back to this. Uh, I want to go back to this uh, 21st chapter, and I want to read the 24th and 25th verses of this 21st chapter of Luke. And they, it's talking about Israel, shall fall by the edge of the sword. They're going to fall by the edge of the sword. Remember, the sword is the first judgment of God that he'd bring. He'd bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and he'd bring that over and over again. He said, if you go after these other gods while you're a nation, I'll bring the sword. That'll be your enemies will come against you, and they'll whip you, and you'll flee seven ways. And they'll bring the famine that came in the form of locusts eating up their crops or too much rain, Samuel told them in that 12th chapter of 1 Samuel, or no rain at all, like Elijah said in that 17th chapter of 1 Kings. No rain at all. So that was a judgment, and pestilence was disease. That always came with no rain. Disease. And then he said, if you keep doing, going after these gods, I'll finally send the beast to carry you away into captivity. We know that the beast was Babylon. And Babylon was called the lion. And Babylon was overthrown by Persia. And Persia was called the bear. Because Persia had the largest armies that had ever existed. They would take 250, 2,5,000,000 armed men and go against a nation like they did in northern Africa or the uh, various other Carthage. And they had huge armies. The bears, the largest carnivore upon the earth. Then Persia was overthrown by Greece, the super commander Alexander the Great he came in conquered Persia and they said they couldn't be conquered they said the same thing Babylon said then Greece was subjugated when I say subjugated they had four generals that took over Alexander the Great's kingdom when he was believed to be murdered at uh, he was believed to be murdered on his deathbed one of the best books that I've got on this is this book here called Exploring the Book of Daniel. I don't like the co-writer on this, Jerry Vines. He doesn't have a lot to say. He commented on the first seven chapters. and He was just a president of a Southern Baptist Convention at one time. And you can tell why uh, John Phillips employed him to be a uh, a fellow writer that's because Jerry Fines had a lot of political clout but when you don't pay a lot of attention to his first seven chapters because they from the seventh chapter on to the end of the book was written by this John Phillips tremendous historian so you can't go wrong buying his book 
and reading what he's got to say. It's just very, very good. I'm not, if I don't believe in somebody, I, I'll recommend the part of the book I believe. And I believe in him. Really has a lot of good things to say. Now, let's get back here to verse 24. They, the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. They were led away captive, weren't they? They were led away. 722, I brought it out this morning. 586, southern Judah was led away captive. Because they kept involving themselves in Baal and Grove and tree worship. And that wasn't just the Baal and the Grove. It was all the people around them, all their gods, they went after them and uh, got involved in it. Well, God scattered them for that very reason. So when you're looking at the end of time, look, you're looking for when Israel comes back together. You can look in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. This is the valley of dry bones chapter. Ezekiel comes out to this valley and he sees this valley full of bones and they're very dry. It means they've been dead a long time. And God tells Ezekiel, you preach to these bones and I'll bring them together. Bone to his bone. The foot bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee bone, the knee bone. That's about this right here. And that's about Israel coming back into one nation. God's, this is one of the best chapters in the Bible to preach predestination. Because God tells Ezekiel, you preach to the bones, I'll bring them together. Preach to the dead, that's what we do. God says, if they're elect, I'll bring them together. But he says, they'll become one nation, but they won't have any breath. Where are they going to get breath? Breath is the word P-N-E-U-M-A. We get our word pneumonia from that. Pneumonia is a disease of the lungs. Well, that is the word spirit. And God says, I will put my spirit in them. You preach to the dead, I will tell you who belongs to me and who doesn't. And I will cause my people to come alive. And they'll come together, bone to his bone. And he said, when they come together... I'll breathe life into them and I'll bring and he, then he turns around and says take one stick for Joseph the son take one stick for Joseph the stick of Ephraim that's northern Israel we talked about that this morning that would be the ten northern tribes. And then he said, take one stick for Judah. That's the two southern tribes. And he said here in 
Ezekiel 37, they will become one nation in my hand at the end of time when I bring them back together. And they are together. They're not apart anymore. And Mary asked me this morning, she said, where are the ten lost tribes? Well, they're mixed in with the rest of the Jews wherever they are. Now, people will say, we don't like those people over there. They're not Jews over there in Israel. Well, anyone who comes through Jesus Christ is a spiritual Jew. If there are any believers in Israel, they have to come through Jesus. You can't go to heaven because you say you believe in Jehovah without Jesus. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way in. So, I believe because of those four wars that they had, starting with their War of Independence, 1948, 1948, May 14th, there were about 250,000 Jews and about 45 million Arabs million Arabs declared war against the Jews on May the 15th, the next day. And the Jews didn't have a chance. But they won anyway. And because of that war, because of the war of 1957, the Sinai War, they were totally outnumbered. The Sinai War, here's the first, this is the War of Independence. Now, I've gone through these wars. I've got notes on all of them. The Sinai War 1957. The odds were overwhelming, and they won that war. Then you get to the war of the Six-Day War, 1967, from June 4th, excuse me, June 5th, June 5th through June 10th, that's the Six-Day War, number three, they were completely outnumbered, and I've read a lot of things on this, they said that the, the uh, Israeli Air Force they took off, they knew that they were going to be attacked in 1967. And they, and they sent their air force. When you're talking about, when you're talking about uh, going from Israel, you're talking about going from southern Israel over here to Egypt, in this air right here, they attacked the the Egyptian Air Force. It's about two and a half minutes going by one of them Mystere jets. I believe they were called M-Y-S-T-E-R-E, M-Y-S-T-E-R-E. Those are French jets that Israel acquired from France. And at going at the, the rate of speed they fly, the speed of sound... They were there in about two and a half minutes. And they literally destroyed the Egyptian Air Force while they were on the ground, while the Egyptian pilots were sitting inside their hangars drinking their coffee. They annihilated them. 
these are the miracles of God that this happened. Then you had the Yom Kippur War. And that is, Yom is the word day. K-I-P-P-E-R is the word Kaparath or Kafar. It means the Day of Atonement War. And they thought, and these, these Arabs thought if they would attack Israel during the day of Yom Kippur, they wouldn't be fighting. And they completely left the northern section open. And we had a fellow here, this major, or major colonel, this colonel retired from the military. He was in that Yom Kippur War. He was at one of the main characters in it. And he said it looked like we was going to possibly... Israel was going to lose, but evidently God stepped in. And they won this war and gained more territory in every one of these, and they were completely outnumbered in all of them. The reason I believe God has some people there, if they, if everybody there in Israel is not, is not spiritual Israel, then he has no reason to bring these great miracles together for them. I believe there is a remnant there in Israel, and I hope that we can be a part of getting the message over there. Uh, Mike told me that he said they don't know anything about how the Old Testament and the New Testament connect. I talked to several Jews when I was in real estate. They didn't know anything about New Testament, about Jesus, about God or anything. They know nothing about it. They just believe their God is Jehovah of the Old Testament. And most of them don't even practice that. So I believe these, and I'm not going to go through these things tonight, but I believe these wars illustrate there was a divine hand in this, in sustaining Israel. Now, let's get back over here to, to the 24th verse of Luke 21. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. And Israel has fallen by the sword for 2,600 years till recent years. And led away captive into all nations. That happened, 722, 586. They've been ruled. I've got a paper on this. They've been ruled all this time by other nations until May 14th, 1948. God has to have a hand in this. And, the, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the whole context of this section here is that Judah is going to fall. They'll be compassed with armies in verse 20. And as long as they're compassed with armies, Jerusalem will be compassed with armies. When did Jerusalem cease to be compassed with the enemy armies? 1967 was when they drove the Jordanians out and took the possession of Jerusalem once again since they were carried away by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Then let's go on to, let's read on here. This is my favorite verse of all the verses concerning Israel and the end of time. But I have to take this verse and build everything that they did around this from the Old Testament, from First and Second Kings and Chronicles, how they went after all these gods. And they were carried away. This verse is pointing back to that. 
and shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the whole context of this is the Gentiles ruling Israel. So you can put it this way until the Gentile rule over Israel is fulfilled and it's done. Now read verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon. The moon uh, controls the tides of our of the uh, oceans the oceans are in an upset right now nothing is running the way God originally put it we have stirred everything up simply by ecology by messing with the seas messing with the forest everything you see that's going on when we're talking about trying to overcome the greenhouse effect. Are we in a greenhouse effect? No doubt we are. It's, the greenhouse effect is when the ozone is burning up. What causes it to burn up? There's certain gases that come in to our world. They come in because of the the structure of the molecules and the atoms in the molecules that can break through and burn holes in the ozone. I asked uh, Dr. Elrod out at, who is the orthopedic surgeon for the Titans, I said, from a doctor's perspective, do we have an ozone problem? He said, absolutely. He said, there's a section of South America and he said they've got a big hole in the ozone down there and they have more they have more cancer than they have anywhere else in the world per capita and he said we have and people the republicans and the democrats this is not a republican or democrat problem it's god's cycle it's god dealing with the world the democrats say oh We've got we've got greenhouse gases and we need to control that. Need to control it. And we need to stop buying these big SUVs and uh we need to put controls on all of these uh these uh uh companies that are sending these gases into the air that's burning up the ozone. Well, that may be part of it, may not. The point is, it's the judgment of God. Some people will say, well, it's just a cycle that happens every 100,000 years. Well, guess what? If it's a cycle, guess whose cycle it is? It's God's cycle. Puts us right in the middle of, of the earth heating up. This is not when, what's his name? The ex-vice president wrote his book on uh, the, what's his name? Al Gore. Al Gore. When he wrote his book on the earth heating up and him being a Democrat, the Democrats all go along with it and they found him a, something to stand on and found him a platform. This has nothing to do with Al Gore. I was studying, I was studying the El Nino factor back in the 60s before Al Gore thought about writing a book. And El Nino was a section, I've said this last week or a couple of weeks ago it's a section off of off of South America and it causes havoc 
on the world. Uh, right here. There's a section off of South America. It's a section of water out here where the trade winds stop blowing. And they used to stop blowing right around Christmas time. El Nino means the child in Spanish. So it quit blowing. Guess who stops the trade winds from blowing? And all of that, when it quit, when they quit blowing and cooling the waters down, they evaporate up into the stratosphere, and that's carried all over the world by these jet streams, and it's causing havoc with the weather all over the world. This is a part of, this is a part of, uh, of greenhouse. I've got many books on the greenhouse effect and global warming. It's not a democratic or a Republican cause. It's God's cause that it's his judgment he's bringing upon the world. I brought it out before. I might just mention it again. When you go over to Revelation 8, Revelation 8, and it's talking about Babylon here, how Babylon's going to be burning with fire. God tells Babylon, he tells the people, I'm going to make Babylon a burnt mountain. Babylon is, Babylon is a system of self. Let us make us a name. It says here, there's seven angels, got seven trumpets, and he says in verse 8, and the second angel with the second trumpet sounds, and it, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. The I said it last week, I've got an article out of a magazine, and we're dumping millions of tons of plastic into the sea every day. And they they're not plastic is not biodegradable. It will not just rot and go into nothing. Might take ten thousand, even a hundred thousand years for some of this plastic to deteriorate. Well, whether people believe it or not, fish in the sea are dying today. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. That's going on right now. <clears throat> and the third part of the ships were destroyed. <clears throat> what that's talking about, the ships went across the seas merely to carry merchandising like FedEx or UPS or... This is simply talking about the ships will quit traveling, carrying products. And that's the burning of the mountain of Babylon or the destroying of the merchandise at the end of time in the 18th chapter of Revelation. <clears throat> and verse 10, the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp, fell upon the third of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood and the third part of the waters became wormwood. <clears throat> wormwood was a bitter herb. It means the waters of the seas are going to become bitter because of the poison in them. They put this in words that maybe men cannot understand, but you have to study wormwood to know it was a bitter herb. It means the waters are going to become bitter in the sea. That way the animals can't live in the sea. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And then one more time, let's look over there at the 16th chapter of Revelation. <clears throat> 16th chapter, these same seven angels are pouring out their vials of judgment upon the earth. If you look at it the way the Bible intends it, you won't have a hard time understanding it. Verse 8, 
The first angel pours out his vial in verse 2. The vials are bowls of judgment. It's going to be pestilence of all kinds. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the waters in verse 4. And verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blaspheme the name of God. The fact that they can blaspheme God means they're not burning, being burned up. They're just cursing the sun for being so hot. And it's going to, when the Lord said, I'll not destroy the earth anymore by floods, he didn't say, I won't hit them with fire or with heat, which have power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And then let's read the next verse. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the sea of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. This is talking about men being actually hurting because of the pain that's going to be upon the earth. Now go back over here to Luke 21 and verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth Distress of nations with perplexity. The word perplexity is an interesting word. Aporiomai. This is talking about at the end of time. A-P-O-R-E-O-M-A-I. It actually means in a quandary. A quandary is where you're up against the wall. Uh, there's a current saying, you're being stonewalled. There's no way out this perplexity men don't have a way out of this i want to show you something it's about i'm not i don't have the answers let me give you this word in other verses look at proverbs 29 apori is this word aporia no way out we don't have a way out for the problems on the earth right now. There's no way out. What gets me is these. Do these congressmen and senators fool you? It doesn't take brilliant reasoning to understand the Bible. It takes looking at all the details. Y'all have heard me teach on all these details, all these characters. I've studied it for 63 years. Started when I was 17 in 1956. Spent a lot of time in these characters and these dates and times. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that there's no way out for America when we owe somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 trillion dollars on a national debt. We couldn't pay that off any time in the future. Whenever these these guys in Washington get together and they talk about cutting the budget, cutting the budget, or they talk about balancing the debt, what they're saying. They, they talk about making cuts, 
what they're talking about we got this much debt let's just say we got 18 trillion dollars we owe I remember when we owed 9 trillion back when Obama was president and they said we cannot owe any more than that and they said Congress cannot give us uh, any more to go up on that we've got to cut this and what they're talking about they have interest that they have to pay on this debt and they got this much interest they're having to pay on this debt this year so what they mean we got to go over here somewhere and cut spending you heard them say that cut spending what they mean is there's things we spend on let's say for instance these entitlements. An entitlement is money for the poor, for the needy, special housing. And can these poor people get by when they're drawing 650? We got several people we send money to that make, one fellow makes 450 a month. We send him money every month. Several of them make 500, 600 a month. We send them money every month. A couple make up close to 1,000 a month. We send them some money because it's awful hard to live on that. And what if they can't get housing? Housing in Tennessee, special housing, Section 8 housing in Tennessee is halted. You can't get special housing in Tennessee just because you don't make enough money to live on. You got to find it. Can folks to live with? Or you got to find some way to get a roommate. And you cannot find just a, a two-bedroom in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And this is not Chicago and this is not Los Angeles. It's about eight fifty to 900 a month. Do you think a one-bedroom apartment is going to be six fifty to seven fifty a month. That's what they cost, right? Isn't that about right? Will be higher. I'm kind of being conservative here. How can these people that make six hundred and fifty a month pay out six fifty for a house and have anything else to live on? They can't. What is the answer is? There is no answer. It's utterly insane. Well, you can't cut this to the poor, but if they do, they stop spending. They stop spending uh, money in the special special rent to the poor on Section Eight housing. They just stop it in certain areas. It stopped in Middle Tennessee. Did you know that? There is no special housing for the poor in Middle Tennessee. Not now. They got other government programs that are not near what Section 8 is. And Section 8 is, depends on what you make. I've seen, I've seen some people that had Section 8 housing that was $100 a month. Well, that's what it should be, but who's paying for it? Nobody. <laughs> they said they've got to make some cuts out here somewhere. Well, what they're trying to do is pay the interest on this $18 trillion. So they're trying to cut over here. Government cuts on 
so many things they're trying to cut just to pay this to pay this interest on the national debt. And they end up cutting enough to pay this right here. And they can't get this part here paid. So what they do the next session, they throw this on the debt, and then it has grown to $20 trillion. Or $21 trillion. I don't know how many zeros there are in it, but it goes on forever. And they end up having to throw this on this. Back we only owed two, about two trillion on the national debt in 1991. When Kennedy was president, we owed a few billion, and that was it. What's the answer to this, Aporia? There is no answer. You can't keep cutting, letting the national debt grow. This has to someday. We're going to face this. It's like I would have, when I was in real estate, I'd have young people come in, a young couple, maybe 28, 29 years old. And I'd say, what do you owe? I'm sitting there trying to qualify them, their debt-to-income ratio. Well, we got these 15 credit cards. I said, you got what? 15 credit cards. We take eight of them, and we pay the interest on the seven of them one month, and the next month we pay the interest on the eight with the seven credit cards, and we just kind of balance in that, and we owe $40,000 on them, and you're going, I said, you can't buy a house. There's no way you can do that. Forget it. I don't, I'm not that loud, or I'm kind of gentle with them. There's no way you can get into a house. And that's because they've spent foolishly and stacked up all these debts, on credit cards. There ain't no answer to this. The Bible says there'll be distress of nations with perplexity. What's the cure for dumping billions of tons of plastic into the ocean? There is no cure. Is there any way to sift it out? No way. The fish are dying. Let me give you something else. There's no way out. Let me give you two other verses. Two other verses over here in Proverbs 29. And this will tell you what this is about. Proverbs 29. 29 and 1. A man who stiffens his neck when he's often reproved. What happens? Verse 1, chapter 29, Proverbs. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Without remedy is the word marpe in the Hebrew. No way out. Has America stiffened its neck against God? There's not any answer. Forget it. Look over here in Second Chronicles, the 36th chapter. This is where Babylon is overthrowing Israel. There's no way out of what's happening. Second Chronicles, 36th chapter. This is the end of Israel's history as a nation. We've talked about this. 
Northern Israel has always been already been carried off into captivity. And southern Judah is about to go into captivity in this 36th chapter. Verse 16. Well, let's read 15 and 16. The Lord God of and the Lord God of their fathers, speaking of Israel, sent to them by his messengers, that means the prophets. Jeremiah shouting to him in the streets. Isaiah, he preached to him for 40 years saying, stop doing what you're doing, going after these other gods. Northern Israel, Isaiah preached for 50 years. Rising up betimes, or from time to time, sending, and because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. God said, I had compassion on Jerusalem, had compassion on Israel, and for 500 years, They've reproached me and ignored me. I delivered them out of Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, destroyed his armies, took care of them all the way. We've only been a nation a little over 200 years. But they mocked the messengers of God. Israel mocked Jeremiah. They said, let's, Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, can we kill him? He's depressing us. Zedekiah said, you can hang him in the mire. The mire was human waste. And despised God's words, misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Marpe. No answer, no way out. I'm going to give you something out of an article I read at the doctor's office this week. I brought it with me. It's in Time magazine. It's about this fence that Trump wants to build. That's the battle with Congress. And Congress, made up of all those senators and all those representatives, the Democrats are outnumbering the Republicans, and Trump is a Republican. So he's come up with this idea to build a fence from California all the way through Arizona to New Mexico, down through Texas, down to the bottom of Texas, a fence that how long is it? If he builds the fence, you got hundreds of thousands of people trying to get into the United States past this fence. How many billions of dollars does it take to build the fence? And if he builds it, is anybody down here? Down here, they're dying. They're being taken over by gangs. Let me read something to you. This is Dividing Lines, and it's about that fence. It's in Time Magazine. I'll read this to you. What's the answer? Not any. He thinks he can build a fence and keep them out. And if he don't build a fence, they're going to keep coming in. And there's a hundred of thousand of them wanting to come in. What's the answer to that? They're fooling themselves. Trump is fooling himself. And all that Democratic majority in the Senate is fooling themselves. Because God says there'll be no answer. Let me read this to you. He's talking about this family. This is them right here. These are Spanish people from Guatemala. 
And they're showing, I just got to reading this at the doctor's office. I thought, good grief. Dividing lines, the human face of global migration. Let me read this to you. From where Violetta Monteroso stood in a migrant encampment near one of Tijuana's main border crossings. Tijuana is just over here as you go into California, right down here. Tijuana is a town on the border of California and Mexico, just as you go into Tijuana. The shimmering American city just beyond the frontier fence. She could see the American cars as they slid down the highway and disappeared toward a ghostly skyline. She could imagine what lay almost within reach, but that promised land was also infinitely distant. From the Mexican side of the border, mired in inches of mud, they reeked of broken Portable toilets, the entire U.S. might as well have been a mirage. I have stood on a mountain in El Paso, looked over. This looks like poverty over here, just huts everywhere. And you turn and look to this side, and it's all the cars and the nice homes and houses. You have to go out there and look over the border to see. There's a mountain in El Paso you can look and see just abject poverty over across the border and they can't live and they don't have food what's the answer there's none in late november their children kania jasmine 12 isaac 11 yimmy 9 they added their names to the bottom of the list in a thick book there were more than 5,000 migrants. That's somebody trying to get across the border so they get a piece of the action of the land of the free and the home of the brave. There were more than 5,000 migrants ahead of them waiting to request asylum in the U.S. And because of recent changes in policy, American authorities were processing only 40 to 50 requests a day. And they got 5,000. They're going to be building more every day. And what's the big deal? Can't they just live down there and live poor? No. They got gangs everywhere that's controlling everything. Monteresso and Calderon expected it would take months before their names were called. But they were willing to do whatever it took. Going back to Guatemala was simply not an option, they said. Monteresso explained that in October, their family was forced to flee after a gang threatened to murder the children. That's these kids I showed you a picture of. If they didn't pay an exorbitant bribe, five months worth of profits from their tiny juice stall. They had a little stall in the side of a wall or on a cart. They were selling juice. And they wanted five months, the gang wanted that. Has anybody seen the MS-13 gang, the most dangerous gang in the world? They got them all over the United States. They're importing them in here. If you look behind the scene, just go online and look up MS-13. There's hundreds of thousands in that gang. This is not a few people. They make the Hells Angels and the, the, the other motorcycle gang that's more dangerous than the Hells Angels. Uh, they make them look like a bunch of pansies. 
if you say one thing out of the way or they suspect you that you're with the police or you're you're talking at all they'll kill you right there on the spot the family hid for a day and a half in their house and then sneaked away before dawn they killed the people and killed the children all told more than 159,000 migrants filed for asylum in the u.s in the fiscal year of 2018 and they're increasing every year because they can't live in their homes the gangs are taking over what's the answer there is none can you build a thousand mile wall and keep them out do they know how to put explosive on the wall or dig tunnels under it do they know how i don't know what these senators and what trump is thinking there is no answer on either side there's no way out you think this is going to go away the gangs are going to multiply more and more the total number of apprehensions along the southern border has decreased substantially from 70% since the physical year of 2000. President Donald Trump has labeled the southern border a national crisis. Well, it is. There's hundreds of thousands. It'll be turning into millions trying to get across the border to get some of what we've got. He refused to sign any bill funding the federal government that did not include money for construction of a wall along the frontier, triggering the longest shutdown in American history. You've heard about the shutdown we're in? That's what it's about. It's a fight between Trump and the Senate. He wants money, they won't give it. So they stop the government. That's why people are having to go home. Could be the beginning of the end. I don't know. It'll be something like this when it starts ending. He threatened to formally invoke emergency powers. If he gives an executive order like you can give you can give in times of war, a president, if they hadn't have declared war after Pearl Harbor was bombed, Roosevelt President Roosevelt could have declared it with an executive order by himself. The president says the barrier which was the centerpiece of the election campaign is needed to thwart a dangerous invasion and undocumented foreigners. Do you think this 150,000 is not going to turn into a million or two million or three million and they're going to be hitting the borders because the gangs are ruling South America? What's the answer? Distress of nations with perplexity. Monteresso and Calderon, his wife, along with thousands of other families who had gathered in late November in encampments outside Tijuana represent a tiny fraction of the record-breaking 258 million international migrants. It's 258 million trying to break into Europe. That's nearly the size of America. What's the answer? There is no answer. Trump and the guys won't face that. If Trump builds his wall, what does that mean? They're not going to break it down. They'll have to put guards all the way across there. That's going to be billions and billions of dollars. They have to go have guards every, I don't know, every 100 yards, every 200 yards. Have to have binoculars watching for people. They're doing that now. But what's the answer to this? 
you got people crash you got an immovable object wanting to contain an irresistible force that's what's happening what happens ain't no answer I thought this was an amazing article the total number has more than doubled since 1985 and ballooned by 36 million trying to get in by two, in 2010. Tens of millions went in search of better jobs, of better education, medical care, tens of millions more had no choice. More than 5.6 million fled the war in Syria. Uh, millions were in Rohingya, I don't know where that is. Hundreds of thousands fled their their neighborhoods in Central America and villages in sub-Saharan Africa driven by poverty and violence and the people like Al-Qaeda and like ISIS is taking over. They go into towns and literally slaughter people and they become the government and you will give them what they want or die. Others were displaced by the catastrophic weather linked to climate change. Taken one at a time, each is an individual, a mixture of strength and weaknesses, of hope and despair. The long peace that followed the Cold War in, in the developed world, the accompanying of the expansion of international travel, liberalized policies for refugees, and the relative wealth of developed countries, especially in Europe and the U.S., is the number one destination for migrants. They want to come here. Millions of them. What are we going to do? Shut them out? Is this a Christian thing to do? So you can't come in and we can't feed you. We're not going to feed you. Die! I'm not saying Trump's right. I'm not saying the Senate's right. I'm saying there is no answer. That's what the Bible says. This is going to get worse. Even men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. It's not going to get good. And people say, you don't need to be reading a magazine in the pulpit. Certainly you do. You won't find out for yourself. I'm going to read it to you. I mean, it's insane what these people are saying. They're killing their children. They're stealing their money. There ain't no way out. You got, these are families. You have no heart for them. They're, they're running away from persecution, from, from extortion, gangs trying to extort from them. And you know what America's doing? Sitting here, asleep. And you don't even know what's going on. And you see these talking heads on TV talking about how we're going to fix all this. Sure you are, Mr. Trump. Sure you are, Senators. Yeah, I believe you. Do I believe you? I don't believe, I don't believe anybody on top of the political world. I believe those guys in Washington knows that this cannot be cured. And they keep playing this political game, hoping that they come to a place where they can have some kind of answer. Either that, or we'll let our kids handle this when they grow up, and we'll step out of the picture. The Bible says there's no answer for all this. Do I believe that? Absolutely. You ever been down there? Huh? You ever been down there? 
Yeah, I've been into Mexico. Huh? I've been into Juarez. It is poverty in Juarez. I mean, you just walk over the, you can walk, you used to could walk over the border. But Juarez is a center for drug dealers now. That's right across the bridge from El Paso. That's where they're having a lot of these drug wars is in Juarez. And they got those drug kings. They'll kill everybody inside if you get in the way of their 20 million, 30, 40 million dollars a year, 100 million dollars a year. They don't care who you are. They kill all their own people down there. They kill the Spanish-speaking people. They don't care about anybody. They want their money, and they want it right now, and they want it from you, and they'll extort it from you. We'll kill your kids, kill your wife. And that's why they're up there beating the borders at the Mexican border to get into the States. Do you think, they, do you think a fence can keep people out that are that desperate? But if they don't build a fence, what are they going to do? Run over the borders. What's the answer? There is no answer. We got too many people, and people will say, well, what about all that central section of the United States that doesn't have anybody living there? That's called the breadbasket of America. We need that to grow crops for the rest of the people. We are headed towards the worst times. It reminds me of Second Timothy. It reminds me of this right here. If you pay attention to what's going on in the government, read your paper, read what these guys are doing. Don't always believe their double talk and their big words. I don't. They know how to say, refer to this bill or that bill or this quorum or that vote or this whatever they want to call it. And they get together for a... They're going to, I can't even talk the political talk. But it's so many dazzling words to keep the American people at bay. How many people are interested in even talking about what's on the news? They're not. How many people are interested in even discussing the wall that he wants to build? The reason the government stopped is this right here. He can't get the funding for that, so he's called a stop on Congress of passing anything for them and they've called a stop on the president passing anything and the president can veto and they can veto and we're not going to pass it so we're in the longest government shutdown in history in America today look over here in Second Timothy and, you know, I could come up with every Sunday night with problems in America that we can't solve. I can do that every Sunday night from now on. There's about 50 wars going on all over the world that are major wars that you don't even know anything about. I, look, I go on the Internet and look these things up all the time. I don't spend my time on the internet looking at playing games, internet games. I look I'm always looking for these things. Look over here in second in Second Timothy. This is what this reminds me of when it says this very thing. Second Timothy 
the third chapter, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Kelapas. Here's the word perilous. C-H-A-L-E-P-O-S. It means dangerous. Well, let me tell you, the dangerous times are here. Some of these people trying to get in, they're just as innocent as they can be. They're just simple Spanish-speaking people from Mexico, from Central America, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, from Panama, where our brother Milton's from. And all they're wanting is... She said in this article, the mother said, sometimes we would go three days without food. She said, me and my husband can do that, but my kids can't handle that. How desperate are they? They're just wanting food and medical treatment. That's all most of them want. I had a guy that used to come here. He'd go down to Mexico. He said there are thousands of thousands of cardboard boxes on the street of Mexico City where people are living. And he said, all they want. He said, to them, they want to get across the border, get them a green card in Texas, and live in the ghetto, and they feel like millionaires. That's all they want. Just to get, get over here and get on a, some kind of a government program just have barely enough to eat and pay a light bill and live down here in the inner city and they're happy as they can be. Is that what you want? It's amazing. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Philotos, P-H-I-L, a-U-T-O-S. P-H-I-L-A-U-T-O-S. comes from philos. That is a form of phileo, which means to have affection for. Affection for A-U-T-O, which is our word auto. It's the word self. You think Americans have an affection for self? Oh, yeah, it runs rampant in this country, doesn't it? I'm not preaching Democrats or Republicans. I'm saying to the Democrats, you think there's a global warming that you can handle. You can't. God says, I'm going to bring judgment, and there is no remedy. I'm saying to the Republicans who are trying to say, well, there's no problem with the global warming. Yes, there is. You don't want to face it. But I'm telling you, there is no answer to either one of you Democrats or Republicans. There's none. If you come up with an answer, you're going to prove the word of God wrong. We can throw our Bibles away and go party, can't we? It's crazy what people are thinking. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous. It's funny how these translators translated these words. 
This word covetous is not the common word covetous. The common word is the word. I'll get it in a minute. Let me erase this. Common word covetous is pleonectes. P L E O N E K T E S. Means to want more any way you can get it. And the Bible says this covetous man, this pleonectes man, is an idol worshiper. He's worshiping himself. But this word covetous here is the word phil, a p h i l a r g u s, philagoras. That's the same word as love of money over there in First Timothy. The fourth chapter, where the love of money is the root of all evil, in verse ten of chapter six, the love of money, <clears throat> philagoria. That word is p h i l a r g u r i a, philagoria. This is basically the same word over here in Second Timothy. It comes from philos and. Argury, A-R-G-U-R-Y. Argury is the word shining or silver. Philos means have an affection for. The only reason men want lots of silver, the Bible says over there, reminds me of a verse in Proverbs the thirtieth chapter. In Proverbs 30, the Bible says, <clears throat> in verse 7, chapter 30 of Proverbs, two things have I required of thee, deny them not before I die. I want two things, Lord, from you. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Vanity, Hebel, means worthlessness. And remove lies, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Is that a prayer you want to pray? Don't give me poverty or riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Convenient means necessary. And what would that be? Nomos. Well, the main food we need is nomos. That's the Greek word law. And it means legal food. It doesn't just mean legal food. It means legal prescribed food. It's prescribed by God. If, if men weren't so hungry and so greedy, they might want to share some with the poor and the downtrodden. Y'all know here I have a real heart for the downtrodden. The only people I ask money for before the service where we start preaching is for the needy. I've been poor. I was raised very poor. I wasn't black, but we were poor. We lived in ghetto-type places. We lived in one place. It was a shotgun duplex. You know what a shotgun duplex is? You don't know. <laughs> it has two sides to it, like a shotgun. And it had a little bitty living room, about 11 by 11 or 11 by 12. Had one room, didn't even have a hallway. Just had a door there, and this was the dining room, or my mother and father's bedroom, 
and then it had a kit, little bitty tiny kitchen, had a back porch that me and my brother slept on, and the back porch had they dropped down uh, a tarp there, and me and Clyde would sleep on that back porch and cover up about six or eight blankets to stay warm even though it was Beaumont, Texas it gets 22, 23 degrees down there and with that with all the humidity down there it was freezing all the time and I'd jump up out of bed and run into the kitchen there was a little standing heater there and I would get in front of the heater and try to get warm without Clyde pushing me out of the way we were raised poor daddy was an old country preacher and we very seldom had anything. Well, it's just, and I had a paper route, and I made whatever money I needed to buy my shoes, my underwear, and what have you. He says here, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny you, Lord. When you get too much money, that's what Deuteronomy 8 says. The... God says, when you get full, you'll deny me and you'll forget me when you have too much money. America has too much money, don't they? I tell you, let's go back over there to Second Timothy. I hate to paint a, such an ugly picture for you, but it's the truth. It's what we are actually like. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, which is philogorous. It means to have a love of shining. The only reason you want silver is so you can have that big ring on. You can have that diamond ring. You have that fancy necklace, or you can have that fancy car. You can have your fancy house. You can have whatever you want. And that makes you shine I remember in high school, first time I ever heard the song, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. I remember Diamond Hill in Fort Worth, I was in the seventh grade or sixth grade. They'd have a, and we were just a little dinky school and we was going out and playing mineral wells in football. And they'd get out there and say, our boys will shine tonight, our boys will shine. That thing means they're going to be lifted up and shine above mineral wells and they're going to really be something. That means they're going to be proud tonight. And the Bible says God resists the proud. Resists is the word A-N-T-I-T-A-S-S-O-M-A-I. Antitasomai means to wage war against. Wage war against the... God resists the proud. Hoopere, H-U-P-E-R-E. P-H-A-N-O-S. That is the word proud in that verse. And proud comes from hooper, meaning above, and phanos, meaning to shine. Those who want to shine above others, God is at war with us in America because we like shining, don't we? And this is how evil the world is going to be at the end of time. And they will be covetous, Boasters, Alazon is the word boasters. A L A Z O N. That is a form, that's another word proud. You remember over there in First John two sixteen? Two sixteen. All that's in the world 
is the lust of the flesh, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Lust is that word epithumia. It means to long for that which is forbidden. To breathe hard after what's forbidden. What's forbidden is more than what we need. I'm always trying to share what I have with others. Because a lot of people don't have. When people are in trouble in this ministry, I've got a guy that needs a car. Somebody, If you have an old car, he needs a car. And when I get a car free or have to pay $800 or $1,000 for it, I give it to somebody. I got a guy that I want to give a car to right now. He's a part of the ministry. He's long distance. He's a long way off. But if I get one, we're going to give it to him. A lot of people don't have a way to get around to, to get to their doctor. And how are you going to buy a car if all you make is $850 a month? You know how many people that's all they make? We've got dozens of them that are out there that call us constantly. If we got that many, how many do you think the whole town's got? God is at war with people who like to shine above others. And they're philogorous and they have a love of money or love of shining and they like to shine. Let's go on with this. They're boasters. The word boaster, alazon, is a form of this word pride, A-L-A-Z-O-N-I-A. Alazonia means to esteem. It means self-esteem. We're not to esteem ourselves. We're to esteem others better than ourselves. Paul said... Why is it we like us so much? Our problem is us. We just like ourselves, don't we? This is what's in the last days perilous times shall come. And this is the way men are going to be. They'll be proud. When, the, when it says proud there in verse 2, it's that word huperephanos. You got three words for proud in the New Testament. You have the word huperephanos. You have the word alazon or alazanya. This means to shine. This means God is this means to shine above. And you have the word tufao, T-U-P-H-O-O. Tufao comes the word tuflos, which means blind. Tufao means to be conceited, to be in love with yourself so much. Tuflos means to blind or blow smoke. Be consumed by smoke with no fire. That means to blow smoke. When you blow smoke, 
you're conceited, you're signing off like you know everything, you don't know nothing. So he says, you're proud, you're blasphemers. Boy, are, are we guilty of this. Blasphemos. B-L-A-S-P-H-E-M-O-S. Blasphemos comes from two words. People say, we don't know blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. You don't. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Blas Holy Spirit is truth. I'm going to tell you, I've had people say, we just don't know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Anybody ever heard that? We know exactly what it is. If you define it, we can see it. Holy Spirit is truth. Truth. Aletheia. Aletheia comes from Lanthano. Meanings to hide. Lie hid. Or conceal. When you place the alpha in front of Lanthano, the alpha privative, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, it negates the word Lanthano, means not to hide, to negate means to give an opposite meaning, means not to hide anything. When men blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they're blaspheming, they're speaking against not hiding anything. They want to hide everything with a smile on their face and this goofy look. Say, I'm a Christian. Aren't you a Christian? They don't want to say, I'm a sinner and God saved me by his grace. And I know my heart and how wicked and evil it is. God showed me how evil it is. Well, blaspheme comes from blapto. Blapto means to hinder or cause to cease Fimi, F-P-H-E-M-I, means a word spoken, word spoken, or we get the word P-H-E-M-E, -E, which is our word fame. It means to hinder the fame of God's word or hinder the actual uncovering of the truth. When people hinder the uncovering of the truth and they hate to uncover the truth, that means they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. If you do that to the day you die, you're going to hell. You cannot blaspheme the truth and try to stop it. Now let's get to the next word here. What's the next word? All right. Disobedient to parents. Apithos is the word disobedient. A-P-E-I-T-H-O-S. Remember the alpha privative? Pithos means to persuade. Apithos negates pithos. It means unpersuadable. Your parents can't teach you anything. You're a know-it-all. Our authorities can't teach you anything. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. 
The word unthankful is akristos, akaristos, A-K-I-A-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-O-S, A-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-O-S. Unthankful means no charis. Charis is the word grace. You have no grace towards anybody. You're looking out for self, and you don't care about nobody but you. Grace means favor. That's unmerited. Do you really look at people and care about them when they're in trouble, they're in need, and you have plenty and they have nothing? Do you just have no grace to them? You're completely unthankful what God has given to you. That's what that word means. This is going to be going on at the end of time. This is what causes perilous times. Is the United States care about the people down in Mexico or Guatemala or Nicaragua? No. Right now, they've got an entire nation in Venezuela that's gone bankrupt, and they're leaving the country by the millions trying to go into these other countries. It's putting pressure on everybody that's already there. South America's in trouble, and they're hitting our borders to beat 50. They're wanting in. They're like people outside the ark beating on the door of the ark, even though they didn't do that, saying, let us in. We're starving. We're dying. What's the answer to that? There's not any. There's no answer to the problems in America. Have you noticed how these guys get on TV every day? Bill, uh, I started calling Bill Clinton. Not Bill Clinton, but Trump. Trump is the most... Uh, the most TV-hungry person. He loves the camera. He just likes to be on there. He likes to have an issue every day. Have you all noticed that? Never seen a president gets on TV as much as he does. I just think he likes to be a star. He loves to shine. Yeah, he likes to shine. Everybody else likes to shine, too, but he's... I've never seen anybody like him. He loves the camera. He says, put the camera on me when I get up. So they get my suit on. Here I am. I don't have anything against the Republicans or Democrats. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're being what they're supposed to be. Ain't no way around it. They're going to be vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. They'll be arguing in hell together. Oh, yeah, well, I want to pass this bill. I want to get Satan to turn down the heat. We like the heat. We're Democrats. <laughs> We're Republicans. Republicans and Democrats are stupid. Have you ever noticed that? The Democrats will have this platform. Republicans will have this platform. There's not one thing in a Democratic platform that a Republican will agree with. And there's not one thing in a Republican platform that a Democrat will agree with. And it's stupid. It's like nobody over there ever said anything right. Whatever stand y'all take, we're taking the opposite. I think they're all idiots. I don't like any of them. I'm never going to vote for any of them again. It's real dumb while we're sinking in the world. They're sitting around talking about who's rowing the boat. 